0: Welcome back to another edition of the Good Confessions podcast, where uh, three pastors and friends discuss the Westminster Confession of Faith. And my name is Jonathan Cruz. I pastor at Community Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I'm joined, as always, by my cohorts and co hosts, Andrew Miller and Shane Bennett, who pastor in Virginia and Grand Rapids, respectively. Andrew, you get all of Virginia, apparently. <laughs> Uh, fredericksburg virginia is where Andrew's at um so guys how about we just uh, dive in does that sound good yes sir let's do it good uh we're in chapter eight which is on christ the mediator um and just i'll just give an anecdote one of my most embarrassing moments of ministry i'm about to relive for you is teaching on this as an intern at temecula in california and I could not pronounce the word mediator, and I kept saying Christ the meteor. Uh, and it, I could like. I mean, I said it like five times in a row. I could not get it out. And Adam, our f- mutual friend uh, Adam Klaus, you guys remember Adam? Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely.
0: Was doing the sound and um, re- was recorded it, and he saved that and, and spliced that out and made an MP three of it and sends it to me every once in a while just to remind me about it. Hey, when you think Christ was a meteor.
2: What's well, so, the same thing? We're not right? talking about the same thing. Good yeah, story. Right?
0: He comes to earth, right? I mean, there's whatever. Yeah, okay. nice. uh, let me read section three of chapter eight. The Lord Jesus, in his human nature, thus united to the divine nature, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell. To the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of a mediator and surety, which office he took not upon himself, but was thereunto called by his father, who put all power and judgment into his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. Uh, if we just kind of um, think about where we've come so far in this chapter. We're still in a discussion that began in section two of the nature of the second person of the Trinity, the nature of Jesus Christ, the the mediator. And so, um, it, what 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 do we think the, the key point is, or or what what is the confession trying to drive home in this paragraph, particularly as opposed to, um, let's say, the the second section, which talks about him being fully God and and God and man without conversion and composition, confusion. And Andrew, what, what, is, what is the uh, contribution of this particular paragraph?
2: Well, number one, congrats on saying mediator, uh, not me, New York, <laughs> um, but I think you already teed us up for this, that this is about Jesus in his human nature, united with the divine. So you're, you're talking about the hypostatic union, the union of the two natures in one person of Christ, And this section is telling us that uh, the Lord Jesus in his human nature is sanctified and has the Holy Spirit above measure. Um, And it continues to just um, exalt in who Christ is in his moral perfection. And and then it goes into how he's fit to be our savior. You know, uh, you can go into Anselm's right. Why did God become man? And this is a reminder of. Something that we celebrate at Christmas time—that you know, God had to take on flesh to be one of us and to succeed where the first Adam failed—and this section is just teeing us right up for this and exulting in it.
1: Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly with that. I mean, it 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 definitely. So the section seems to be driving at the fact that Christ has come to Earth to be a uh, to execute the office of a mediator and surety, uh, uh, and uh, but it, in the way and it's phrased there, it says uh, that way he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of a mediator. Meaning, uh, so if you, if you recall back to Adam, Adam uh, in Adam, he was our first uh, mediator. He was the first uh, federal head uh, for all of humanity. And in his fall, uh, sinned we all with him. Um, and that meant that no human individual could actually then accomplish what was needed to bring peace between God, uh, that it was necessary for the divine to take this upon himself. Uh, And so it is really because Christ is both man or both God and man uh, that he's able to accomplish the office of a mediator
0: uh, properly. Right. Yeah, I I think you guys have have hit the nail on the head there that we're, we're getting into now kind of moving this is like the transitional paragraph as I see it from the who of Jesus to kind of the the why like why did he come and it's like right. that, that's it's we're now we're talking about office right his his role um which takes us you know back to the even the covenant of redemption that which office he took not unto himself but was called to by his father we've talked about that in previous podcasts and and um section four also uh leads us in that same direction which I'll read here the office this office, the Lord Jesus did most willingly undertake. Again, covenant of redemption language, right? This idea that the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Spirit determined uh, the plan executed, uh, planned in eternity and then executed in real time, the, the salvation of sinners. So uh, the, the, the son, the second person, Jesus comes willingly, submissively as uh, the servant um, of the Lord he undertakes his office willingly uh, which that he might discharge he was made under the law and did perfectly fulfill it endured most grievous torments immediately in his soul and most painful sufferings in his body was crucified and died was buried and remained under the power of death yet saw no corruption on the third day he rose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered With which also he ascended into heaven and there sitteth at the right hand of his father, making intercession and shall return to judgment and angels at the end of the world. Uh, We definitely hear echoes of um, some creedal language in this section, both the apostles and the Nicene Creed. Um, what, What did Jesus need to do in order to be our mediator, to be our surety?
2: Well, I love that you're teeing us up and, re- and reminding us that uh, this is coming from Galatians 4, right? In the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the curse of the law. And this is getting into that. And, you know, what we talked in the last section about the shorty, you know, we think of a shorty as someone who um, takes a pledge for us. So if I can't make a loan uh, but if I can't get a loan for money myself, I'll have somebody co-sign. And, and that means that they take the blame. Uh, they have to pay if I can't pay. And that's sort of part of the idea behind Christ as our surety. or Hebrews talks about it, the guarantor of our salvation. Um, and so, that, so one of the big elements of this is the vicariousness of Christ. Christ is doing this as a federal head, as a tea, as as a, a public person on our behalf, a substitute. And he's born under the law. Um, And you could see how this gets into passive obedience and active obedience that he obeys in our stead um, and earns righteousness before God. And then on the other hand, he endures grievous torments immediately in his soul. So this is what we mean when we talk about he descended into hell in the creeds that um, he's he's enduring the wrath and curse of God in our stead. As our short team.
0: Yeah, I think um, yeah, I liked what you said about the active, passive obedience, and just it would be helpful, I think, to draw where we see that in the in the um, section. So that clause, he was made under the law and did perfectly fulfill it. That's active obedience, and then everything that comes after that to the end of the sentence, endured torments, most painful sufferings, crucified, died, buried, and remained under the power of death. That's the passive obedience. And I can't remember if we discussed this before on the podcast or not, but when we say passive, we don't mean that he wasn't, uh, he was just sitting there and it was like happening to him, but it's coming from that Latin word passio, which means to suffer. So any way in which uh, Christ uh, fulfilled God's law through um, uh, uh, through obedience and thought word and deed, we call that active obedience. And any way which he experienced or took on the curse of sin and suffered because of what we deserve, that's passive obedience. And there's that full list. It's not just the cross, right? We start immediately. I love that. He experienced torments in his soul immediately. Uh, Just the fact that he came into this world means he would endure suffering well before the cross. He knew what it was like to live in a fallen world. So we have the fact that he came not only to fulfill the law, but to take the curse of lawbreakers like us.
1: It's, it's very much the heart of the section uh, here is dealing with, as both of you have pointed out, the, the role of Christ or, or the, the need. What is it that he had to accomplish? Uh, and he does have to, uh, in order to f- fulfill redemption, he does have to both uh, fulfill the law of God perfectly. He does have to be uh, fully and actively obedient to the will of the Father. And uh, the same with his, as you uh, pointed out and articulated so well, uh, his passive obedience, uh, here as well. One of the things that uh does strike me, uh, is towards the end, uh, there's a strong emphasis in this section on uh, that it's his body that yeah, he, he must be a, a man to accomplish these things. Um, it, you know, it, it speaks about uh, bodily death and the self same body being resurrected and descended into heaven. I, I think that for. Um, many of us, we often think, oh, when he went into to the skies, he became a spirit and uh, he, like, a, he pulled the zipper down and just flew up into the heavens, but no, he is bodily resurrected, which means that, uh, truly there is a, there is a, it creates a hope for us in the bodily resurrection as well. And that our hope is not just, uh, in deliverance from a, a spiritual, uh, issue, but the, the effects of sin upon our bodies as well.
2: One of the hymns that we have in our Trinity Psalter hymnal. uh, So here's the plug for that is Holy Spirit of Messiah, number 401. And it gets at all of this, like the first line, I'm not going to read it. So, you know, don't come after me with the copyright. Uh, Holy Spirit of Messiah, uh, you we praise and you we love guarantee of our salvation sent to earth from heaven above. Again, I won't read too much, but at the end it says, uh, Holy Spirit of Messiah, come with Christ on judgment day. Come, O Spirit, come as fire. Breath of Christ, his foes to slay. And, and it keeps going, but it's hitting all these points that the confession is getting at here. Um, and reminding us of what Christ has done for us uh, as the God-man. Um, one, one person in two natures. Uh, in whom is the fullness of God and uh, the, the Spirit of God in full measure.
0: Well, that's a good segue into the next paragraph, which um, brings in the person of the Holy Spirit, reminding us that um, we can't understand the person or the work of Christ as mediator without understanding the person work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It says the Lord Jesus by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he, here it is, through the eternal spirit, once offered up unto God, has fully satisfied the justice of his father and purchased not only reconciliation, but trusting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the father has given unto him. And, uh, this idea of, uh, his, his life and his death being offered up through the spirit. We see, well, in one sense, we see it all through the gospels, right? He's anointed. Well, uh, the spirit, um, dwells over the Virgin Mary and, um, and she, uh, conceives Jesus Christ. So the spirits there in the incarnation, um, at the start of his, ministry public ministry with the baptism um he's filled with the spirit as he teaches opening up the scroll from isaiah and and gives his mission statement in luke chapter four and on and on and on um but then especially we read that um uh, in maybe somebody else has the reference but it's uh, in hebrews uh, hebrews chapter nine where it says that he offered up uh his soul through the spirit um and he did this without spot or blemish so his whole life the the uh, the way in which he could be obedient to the Father, and and be that substitute that we need is is um, a co ministry along with the Holy Spirit, and the the cate- or the confession here says he once offered up himself unto God. Hmm. Shane, what's the significance there?
1: Well, you know, it, it's certainly referencing uh, the sacrificial system that Christ is a type of that he fulfills. If uh, you go back to Uh, the Old Testament, you see all of the the blood of the lambs and bulls that were offered upon uh, the the altar. Uh, Christ is a greater sacrifice, as Hebrews will point out, especially in Hebrews chapter 10, because he was offered only once, meaning he was a perfect sacrifice, meaning his blood was truly innocent, meaning his blood uh, fully covers and atones for all of our sins, unlike uh, these other sacrifices of animals that would always fade away.
0: Do we think they have um, Rome in their sights here too?
2: Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and I I love this whole section. I mean, uh, the last section reminds us he's born under the law. He's under the law as a covenant. Um, And in that, he offers his perfect obedience in the sacrifice of himself. And what wondrous words this is for us when he says, uh, the confession says, hath fully satisfied the justice of his father, right? It's fully satisfied. Um, it is finished. We, we, we doubt that all the time, don't we? Like, oh, I've got to work off my sin or I've got to, I've got to earn something before God. We can't do that. Uh, we're too sinful. And, and then how positive, you know, getting at what Jonathan's pointing out with Rome and, and once like it's accomplished, this is redemption accomplished. Um, and we're going to see later in this, uh, chapter of the confession, redemption applied, but you know, it's saying he's satisfied the justice of the father. He has uh, purchased us, so this is redemption language. Buying something back uh, is what it means to redeem something, and then reconciliation. So we were at enmity with God; our sins separated us from Him. Isaiah fifteen nine one, and uh, you know you go to Colossians where it talks about we were alienated and might hostile to God, and uh, and so we've we've been reconciled and we've been given an inheritance that is imperishable and uh yeah so this is just a wonderful uh thing i mean this whole chapter on christ should just lead us to praise god for Mm -hmm. what he's done
0: Uh, yeah i like that it says not only reconciliation which makes us god's friends but we have an inheritance which means we're god's sons it's just like they keep upping the ante just like it gets better and better wait there's more um moving on now to section six as andrew mentioned this is getting now we're getting further into um uh, redemption applied. How? How? What Christ or who Christ is, which was you know, sections uh, one and, and two and three, and then and what Christ did, sections four and five. How does that become ours? So we read: Although the work of redemption was not actually wrought by Christ till after his incarnation, yet the virtue, efficacy, and benefits thereof were communicated unto the elect in all ages successively from the beginning of the world. In and by those promises, types, and sacrifices, wherein he was revealed and signified to be the seed of the woman which should bruise the serpent's head and the lamb slain from the beginning of the world, being yesterday and today the same and forever. So, um, Shane, you want to start us off with this wonderful yeah. Uh, paragraph?
1: Yeah. So, one of the things that um, is so significant in reform theology is understanding that, uh, that there's one people of God, uh, that the only way uh, to enter into the presence of the Father is through Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that means that uh, all peoples from the beginning of time to the end of time are only saved through Christ Jesus, through the work that he has accomplished. And, um, you know, it, it speaks about uh, in all ages successively from the beginning of the world uh, uh in and by these promises so you think of a place like galatians 4 uh, galatians 4 tells us that abraham believed the gospel beforehand meaning that that is what his faith was in it was in uh, not just in god in general but it was actually in uh christ jesus in the the uh, he looked forward to a messiah who would come who would accomplish redemption just as we Uh, who come after Christ, uh, look backwards to what Christ has accomplished. We all look to the same uh, accomplished work of Christ. Again, it it is uh, speaking very much to that uh, redemption being applied and how it's applied to all peoples uh, throughout the entire history of the world, not just uh, those who come after him.
2: Yeah, you know, this is really getting at how do how are believers saved in the Old Testament, as as Shane is pointing out, and I remember from our uh, seminary class at Westminster Seminary, California, uh, the emphasis on the unity of the covenant of grace, where there's always mm-hmm. one way of salvation through faith in Christ, one people of God, one plan of redemption throughout history. And you see that in this section as well as, you know, we'll see it in the covenant section, chapter seven, um, or I suppose we already did because uh, we already did that, that lecture, but um, This is a reminder of that sacramental union that god is so sure that because you know god can't be foiled his his arm is not shortened uh no power can stand against him so he's so sure that what he's going to do with christ that he can count what christ is yet to do to people like abraham uh and and uh bless abraham with the blessings of christ even before the incarnation and this is explaining how that happened And then even giving examples, like the Proto-Evangelium of uh, Galatians Mm. 3, right? Um, The uh, seed of the woman, which crushes the head of the serpent, or the Passover lamb slain from the beginning of the world. And it's saying this is all through Christ who doesn't change, bringing us to Hebrews 13. He's the same yesterday, today,
1: and forever. Well, I would argue, Andrew, um, that you know, the, the fact that it says the bruised uh, of the serpent's head, like you said, it goes right to the very beginning uh, of our need for reconciliation with God at, in the Proto-Evangelium. And that, that slain lamb, uh, one of the last images we receive is in Revelation, right, of, of the slain lamb who stands in Revelation chapter 5, and then uh, the marriage banquet of the lamb. So it's really an all-encompassing, from beginning to end, Uh, from the whole entirety of the scriptures um i just wanted to add that to what you're you're saying i think it's um,
2: shader are you trying to say that revelation isn't just about the millennium but it's about (laughs) the gospel
0: i thought it Uh, was about i thought it was about vaccine cards
1: Ooh!
0: ouch (laughs) what What? um black hawk apache helicopters section seven we get into some dense theology yay Christ, in the work of mediation, acts according to both natures, what, by each nature doing that which is proper to itself, yet by reason of the unity of the person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes in scripture attributed to the person denominated by the other nature. And I have written in my margins of my confession, commuticatio idiomatum. Isn't that also always great when we get to bring in some Latin phrases? So does anybody, should, since I brought it up, do I need to explain it or is somebody brave enough to explain communicatio idiomatum?
2: Anyway, which way? I mean, it's, it's the communication of properties and we tend to think of this as just a Lutheran thing, but the Lutherans <laughs> have a different view than the Reformed. Um, and we're saying that what you can say about one nature of Christ, you can say about the person, right? So mm-hmm. you can say that Christ grew as a child uh, that's talking about the person. And yes, we know that Jesus was his, tired. Is,
0: you could say he was hungry.
2: Right. We we know that as God, God never grows tired. God doesn't grow. He doesn't change. But as a human being, uh, Christ did those things. He grew as a child. And because you can say it about one nature, you can say it about the person of Christ.
0: Now, they, they, uh, they being the divine, cite Acts 20, 28. and it's often brought up in these discussions which says that um god has made um pastors overseers of the the church of god which he purchased with his own blood
2: right which he bought with his own
0: blood and and it's interesting because they cite that as a reference but that's not really talking about the person and nature of christ right that's is that not um attributing something that the person of the son did to the Trinity as, as the essence of God. So, I mean, it's similar, but it's, it's not quite, I'm just bringing this up because as we went through this with our um, leadership class, that was kind of brought up where they're saying, is this the same thing that we're talking about in section seven? And I, I think there is a slight distinction because they're not saying that the human nature of Christ shed blood and the divine nature, but it's just the church of God, which usually is a denomination for the father or perhaps just the essence of God. I- am I just far afield here? Is that not helpful? Or-
2: well, you know, you're bringing up a tension, which actually, I think uh, a certain venerable, um, venerable professor in my, in our denomination, uh, challenged me on a little bit when I was going for my ordination exam. Um, and he accepted it that, you know, I used this as a proof text um but he pushed back a little bit about it and and yet i think this is showing us the practice Wait, he was
0: saying he was pushing on you using x20 as a proof text for the communicatio idiomatum.
2: i was using it as a proof text and he pushed back a little bit right he knows um, that it's
0: in the confession right <laughs> oh
2: I'm, I'm sure he does oh, yeah he knows, he knows more about the confession than i do right but, i'm gonna i'm um, gonna be quoting him a little bit later so you know it's all good uh, but I, I think it shows the pattern of like what you're doing is that you're saying this is yeah. true about this person, and so you can say that that's true. Uh, you know, this is true about one nature, so you can say it's it's, it's true, true about an yeah. entity,
0: right? And I would agree with that. It's it's a pattern, like you said. It's the same principles at work, but I don't think it's the exact same thing that Section Seven is talking about. But but you did have a helpful definition for us earlier, where we can talk about Jesus growing, uh, learning things. He, you know, he he was limited in certain ways. You can say it's true about Jesus. Um, you can say jesus died but you could never say that god's essence could die never would you say that but because yeah, he's so those two natures divine and human are so united in the person that what's ever true of one nature is true of the person it's a mystery right
2: yeah and and Vink has a really good section on this in reform dogmatics if you want to dig into it further and i would say we should also point out the lutherans have a different view in that that they say that what you can say about one nature you can say about the other nature, which is what leads them to their idea of the uh, bodily presence of Christ up. everywhere being u- ubiquitous, yeah. um, because you're saying, well, as God, he's everywhere, and as man, uh, he's got a body, so that means his body is everywhere, and we say, well, that doesn't make sense, and the Bible says he's ascended bodily and is at the right hand of the majesty on high. So um, our view of the communication of principles or properties is different than uh, the Lutheran view, right. right.
0: Well, we should probably move on to section eight here and close up this episode. Uh, to all those for whom Christ has purchased redemption, He does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same—that is, redemption. Um, should we should we just unpack that first before I read the rest of it? Is sure. this not um, a a clear statement of the doctrine of limited atonement from our confession?
2: No, Jonathan, it's particular atonement.
0: Oh, particular atonement, I'm sorry. No, definite no, you're right.
2: Atonement. You're right, definite, limited. I mean, however you want to say it, because everybody believes the atonement is limited in some way, right? Either it's limited in its scope, which is what we say, or it's limited in its effectiveness, Yeah. meaning right. that it only, right. you know, it only lets people, you know, have the, the opportunity to save themselves. And right. uh, this is a great statement. You're right, Jonathan, of... That Christ dies for His elect. There, there's no one that Christ is elect that God has elected um, that's in hell. There's no one right. Christ has died for that doesn't have the benefits of that death and resurrected. I
0: think, I think this shows us that the idea of being like a, a you know a four point Calvinist or or you know um, quote unquote reformed but not holding to limited atonement historically it just it's, it's a puzzling thing that doesn't really make sense. This is the reformed stance.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: And it's a glorious stance, right? We want to say that everybody that Christ wants to save, he does save. Well, Um, and
1: it gets to the power. It gets to the power of what Christ has done. Has he actually accomplished anything? Or is he just holding out possibilities for us? Um, You know, uh, Charles Spurgeon used to have a great analogy about this. You know, um, he would say about Arminianism that it's a bridge that goes halfway across a river, but it's a very wide bridge. Um, but that Calvinism <laughs> is a very narrow bridge that goes the whole way across. Um, and, yeah. and I, I think, that, and, and his point was very clearly that uh, Christ is actually accomplishing something. Uh, and it's a very powerful accomplishment that he has begun from beginning to end for his people.
0: He continues um, to serve as our mediator still, making intercession for us. The convention goes on. Uh, Revealing unto them, that is, those whom he has purchased redemption for, in and by the word, the mysteries of salvation, effectually persuading them by his spirit to believe and obey, and governing their hearts by his word and spirit, overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom, in such manner and ways as are most consonant to his wonderful and unsearchable dispensation.
2: Andrew. What I mean, this is Hebrews. (laughs) This is Hebrews from first to last. I mean, it doesn't look like everything's under Christ's feet, but it says everything is. And then at the end here, we're reminded that, you know, as, as hard as our life is, as strange as the happenings are around us, God is, um, putting everything to his wonderful and unsearchable dispensation. He's, he, he has made everything subservient to our salvation as the heidelberg catechism one says um you know what wondrous things this is un, unpacking for us that he makes intercession mm-hmm. for us he gives us eyes to see revealing us the word of god and and effectually calling us by the spirit governing us uh, overcoming all of our enemies these are these are things for us to treasure mm-hmm.
1: well it it certainly reminds me of i mean one of the um categories you were using earlier for this section was redemption accomplished and applied. Uh, and it seems to encapsulate all of it together in this section saying, uh, not only has he uh, um, uh, purchased redemption, not only is he, he is continuing to make intercession even now, uh, he's continuing to sanctify us by causing us by the power of the Holy Spirit to believe and obey. And he will bring us to uh, glorification. Uh, In other words, you know, what, uh, as Philippians 1 says, that good work, which he began in us, he will bring to completion. Uh, And it's very much a great way to summarize all that has gone before. uh, Whenever you're speaking about Christ's work as a mediator, Uh, not only is it his passive obedience that has uh, satisfied the wrath of God and his active obedience has satisfied the wrath of God, but as he applies it to us, uh, every aspect of it is accomplished, and it manifests the glory of God, his almighty power, his wisdom, this beautiful reality of who God is because what he has accomplished for us through Christ.
0: Mm. Maybe we can give the last word to a venerable professor in our denomination who wrote a commentary on this um, confession. Chad Van Dixhorn says, our Lord Jesus Christ overcomes all his enemies, all our Mm -hmm. sin, and even death itself, as he does all things, that is, in a manner that is in perfect harmony with his wonderful arrangement of the world, and in a way that exposes the unreachable greatness of our mediator. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of uh, the Good Confession podcast. It's made possible from donations like like you. So um, find our church websites. We have online giving portals. You can mail snail mail checks. We'll take those at any point um, and we'll see you next time.
1: (laughs) Make sure you send it to your favorite.
0: (laughs) So edit that question out, right?
2: Our our audience is gonna want more. They want more. (laughs) I think so. More (laughs) (laughs) cowbell. Okay.